Lord, help us as we read your word. Please be our teacher this morning, in Jesus' name. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. But the, fir- the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against the, such things there is no law. And these are all positive qualities. I think we can all agree that these are the kinds of qualities you want to have in your life. You want to have joy in your life. You want to have peace in your life. You want to forbearance, which is sort of the ability to endure uh, difficult things. You want that. You want patient endurance. You want to have kindness. You want to have goodness, which uh, is generosity. You want to have all of those things. You want to be a faithful person, and God wants to produce all of those things in your life. The problem is they don't come naturally. They don't come naturally. It's very easy to be pessimistic and depressed when you look at your own life. Anybody, no matter who you are or what kind of life you've got, a lot of times it's very easy to look at any and all of your problems and say, oh, woe is me, and to just become Eeyore. This is, this is what we uh, sort of uh, naturally become oftentimes. It's easy to be at conflict with, with uh, other people. It's easy to give up during difficult times. It's easy to not be kind. It's easy to not be generous. Those things are easy. But God wants to produce all of these things in our life which are good, which we all agree are good. And yet it's so difficult uh, sometimes to, to produce these kinds of virtues in our life. We actually need an act of God. We need an act of God to bring these things out in our life. We need the Holy Spirit of God uh, tweaking the dials and knobs and flipping switches until we finally have these kinds of things in our life. And Paul here, of course, uh, and Jesus uh, certainly uses agricultural metaphors all the time. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus talks about sowing seed all the time. Um, And so when we think about these things as fruit, these things as uh, what your garden should be producing, uh, it's easy to extend that metaphor and say, but first, when God, when God, if God is going to produce all of these things in your life, the first thing he has to do is break the hard sod. Uh, out west, I come from out west where it's, it's ranchers, and ranchers didn't like farmers very much. In, in fact, in the, in the musical Oklahoma, there's a song towards the end that says, the cowman and the farmer should be friends, but they're not friends. And uh, the ranchers used to call, look at the farmers, and they didn't call them farmers. They didn't call them horticulturalists. They didn't call them... Um, the producers of vegetables or anything, they called them sod busters. Sod busters. They bust up the sod, all right? Uh, so, uh, but, and if God is going to produce all of these things in your life, the hard ground of your heart, he may have to take a plow to it. And he may have to get a team of draft horses to come out there and bust the sod of your heart. And, and it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable for the dirt to be turned, but it's healthy for the dirt to be turned. Uh, He may have to pull some weeds in your life. And we always think, oh, weeding the garden. The garden looks better. The garden's healthier. But if you're the weed, it hurts. All right? And it it does. Weeding can sometimes, uh, it can disturb the soil. Uh, For some some gardening, you don't want to pull the weeds out. You want to clip them or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, But weeding is good for your garden. And then here comes the rain. Here comes the rain. Uh, and rice even needs to be flooded and rain. Isn't it, isn't it uh, an interesting thing? You know, we need the rain, we want the rain, but when we're kids, we sing, rain, rain, go away. Come again another day. And I don't know that our, our um, attitudes change much 
as adults either rain, rain, go away, until I needed to rain. Then I wanted to rain all day. But if I had plans today, it better not rain, right? And then just look at all the tools that God, uh, that people use to cultivate and to, to uh, break up the garden, to make their garden healthy. And these things, I mean, they look like medieval weapons, don't they? You don't want God to have to use these things on your life. But if he loves you and he wants you to produce these good fruits in your life, ouch, sometimes he may have to pull some things off to prune, to dig up, to turn over, to cultivate, to aerate, all of these things. And today we're looking at faithfulness. Uh, for each of the family services, I'm picking one of the fruits of the Spirit um, to go through. And today we're, we're talking about faithfulness. And faithfulness, it's one of those things that it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to always be reliable, always be dependable. You, um, your, our natural tendency is to be selfish and to say, you know, there's something coming up, and I, I had a responsibility to do it, but I don't feel like doing it today. I'm just going to cancel, okay? Or to say, I know who I should be faithful to, who I should be dependable for, but that person, even though they're a very important person in my life, I'm just going to kind of let those responsibilities fall because of whatever other reason, any excuse that we can have sometimes um, to be unfaithful or to, to drop or to cancel or whatever, we will find it. We will find it. And I, th I, th I think Americans these days, I don't want to call us the most unfaithful people in the world. It's not at all what I want to, uh, the impression that I want to give because many, because uh, people are individuals. People are individuals. But I will say this, as a culture, I think we overextend ourselves. I think we overextend ourselves. I think we say uh, yes to too many things and too many activities. And instead of doing a few things well, we do uh, many, many things in a very mediocre way. We're not very good at all the things that we want to do, but if we, uh, because we can't say no, if, if people ask us to do something, we have to say yes, we have to say yes, even if we're not very good at something. Um, and instead of that, if we would just learn to say no sometimes, if we just learn to say no sometimes and say, you know what, I'm not good at that, or I'm, I, that's not something I can invest all my time and energy into. This, though, this is the thing. This is the thing that I am good at. This is the thing that God has called me to do, that God wants me to do. I'm going to put more time and more energy into this thing and be more dependable and faithful in this thing, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and, and not commit and say no to so many other things. But why can't we say no? Why can't we say no? Why can't we say, you know what? That's just not going to be a part of my life. I'll just never do that. That's very hard for an American to say. An American cannot say there's an experience out there that I don't want. Americans always want to have every experience, all right? We have, we've created this new word, YOLO, you only live once, right? You've got to do everything. You've got to experience everything because we also have something called FOMO, not just YOLO, but FOMO, fear of missing out. We have this fear of missing out. We have to do everything. We have to do everything. But just think about it. Just think about it, okay? Here we are. We live in Maine. And how many of you are dreading winter? It's a few months away. How many of you are already dreading winter of 2020? This is what I, I feel like sometimes in Maine. And, and sometimes even in, in, in April or May or June, people start, start dreading winter long before winter has arrived, okay? So I, I just feel like sometimes people are, are dreading. They're not dreading this winter. They've just given up this winter. But next winter, oh, I'm dreading. I'm already dreading next winter. But just think about what you miss out on. There are people in Florida, and you, you are jealous of people in Florida often, okay? You are jealous of people in Florida often. Let's just go ahead and, 
And every time a Mainer can, they move to Florida, okay? But there are people in Florida who've never gone snowmobiling, all right? Snowmobiling is fun, I hear. I've never done it, but I plan to, okay, at some point. There are people in, in Florida who have never seen snow and never had a white Christmas. Oh, isn't it so pitiful for them, okay? They're missing out on something. They're missing out on good, beautiful winter, right? They're missing out. All right. While they're missing out on something, we're missing out on something. Everybody's going to miss out on something. And that's very hard for Americans. We cannot miss out. We cannot miss out. Because why? Because you only live once. But here's where I think Christians need to reshape their thinking on it. You only live once, right? But it's for eternity, okay? You have eternal life. If you are in Christ, if you are a believer and you are following Christ, you have eternal, you only live once. Sorry, you only live once, but it's for a very long time. And a few years ago, I started kind of looking at life and saying, well, a few things have passed me by, all right? This is probably in my mid-30s. And up until my early 30s, the world was my oyster. I could have anything I wanted. But by the time I was in my mid or late 30s, I started to realize, oh, there are some certain things I cannot go back and do now, right? Um, and I said, I feel like the Lord gave me a real gift. He kind of looked at me and said, don't worry. Heaven is not that lame. Okay? There are certain things I will never do. I'm pretty sure I'll never play Major League Baseball, and I'll never hit a home run. I'll never hit a grand slam. And I could mourn about that all my life. Or I could say, is there athletics in heaven? We're all going to have these resurrection bodies, these amazing bodies that never break, never tear, never get old. Did God intend us to have those kinds of bodies so that we could do nothing with them? I have a feeling I'm going to get to play baseball at a very high level. And my career is going to be very long. I can even take a season off and then come back, and I've lost nothing. And nobody will ever ask me about retirement because I'll always be in great shape, better shape than now. I can't water ski. It is laughable to watch me water ski. It's worse to watch me snow ski. I've gone snow skiing twice in my life. It was a horrible experience both times. But I'm not going to miss out. I'm not going to miss out. I'm going to live forever. And one of these days, probably not in my 50s, probably not in my 60s, probably not in my 90s, will I become a great skier. But someday when I'm in my 2000s, I want to be a great snow skier. I want to be far more than Olympic level. I'm not going to miss out. And you're not going to miss out either. Now, that's an interesting concept, an interesting idea, and I hope that you will grab hold of that to know that heaven is not lame, your life is not dwindling short, you are not about to miss out on everything. You do have eternal life starting now, and you're going to be able to do and see and know more than ever before someday, okay? And I hope that that gives you the confidence and security within yourself 
to get rid of the fear of missing out. And to be able to look at your life and say, the world is my oyster. I've got so many things, so many different options, so many different plans in life. And kids, there are a million different activities that you can be involved in, okay? And, and there are a lot of people who try to do everything. There are a lot of people who try to do absolutely every activity that they can. But kids, I would encourage you to say, you know what? I'm not good at that. I like that. I like the idea of that. I wish I could do that. But actually, that's not my gifting. I would probably never excel in that right now. So I'm going to go ahead and say I'm not missing out by saying no. I'm not missing out by specializing in one particular area, one particular activity, and I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the best at it, and I'm going to be faithful in it. And these other things, I'm going to be able to say no. I'm going to be able to say no to those things. And that's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness, commitment, dependability, reliability in one area is really, I think, what God is asking you to do. He has spiritually gifted people for work in the church and work in outside the church in one particular area. And he wants you to be faithful in that and not try to do absolutely uh, everything. But being faithful and saying into one thing and refusing to do another, not refusing, but uh, saying, you know what, that's just not going to be part of my life. I'm just not going to do that because I'm no good at it, and it's just it's not my gifting. I'm going to put that away. By doing that, you know what you're doing? You're committing, and you're making a promise to forsake all others. Uh, and when I was thinking about this, when you know faithfulness, we think about marriage and all that. Um, and there was a movie, there was an old... Clark Gable, Joan Crawford, and this other guy movie called Forsaking All Others. And it was a, a romantic comedy about this love triangle and who did she almost marry several different times or whatever, okay? But even in the dating world, uh, there are people who, who find it difficult to commit. They're called men, okay? But, <laughs> but even these days, even these days, a lot of women are very um, skittish about committing to anyone because... If I commit to one person, that means I have forsaken this other person. I like this person a lot, but what if somebody better comes along? Okay? And that is a dangerous, dangerous thing to go into romance. That, that Bring that attitude into romance is a very, very dangerous thing to do. You're really setting yourself up for failure, complete failure, if you do that. Commitment to any person or into any activity, to any ministry or anything like that inside the church, job outside the church, whatever it is outside the church that you do, means forsaking others and missing out on that. But this is what I'll promise you. If you try to commit to everything, you'll enjoy none of them. And if you commit to one and put, go all in on it, there's a much greater chance that you will have unspeakable joy, just wonderful joy in your life, because that one thing um, is what you're good at, is what you're able to pour everything into. People who spread themselves too thin, get up every day and say, oh boy, what am I going to do mediocre today? You know, something like that. But people who specialize say, guess what? This person, this ministry, this job, this skill, this whatever it is, I'm going to go all in on it today. And I'm really going to glorify God, especially a Christian, but I'm really going to glorify God and I'm really going to be a blessing in this area because I have forsaken all other things, all other activities, all other people, all other relationships, 
so that I can be all in on this thing. Now, that's me talking about faithfulness in a lot of different ways, in a, in a lot of ways that are applicable to your life. Um, to, just, to just pick out a few people and, and who, who were fulfilling God's purposes, there were a lot of very faithful people uh, in the Bible, a lot of very faithful people. Um, a lot of people, if I said, name a faithful person in the Bible, well, you could just nearly name almost every Bible character. Not everyone, but a lot of different Bible characters. But there are a couple of them that just really stand out to me and who there's something about them that I think everybody needs to learn. So over here on the left, we have Ruth and Naomi. Ruth and Naomi. And Ruth, the book of Ruth, um, I, I've, uh, I'm going to preach the book of Ruth one of these days, and I may ruin it for you uh, because it's not just a cute little Hallmark movie. But Ruth herself, this individual, is highly commendable. She committed. Her mother-in-law was a widow. She became a widow. And her mother-in-law said, you should go back to your family of origin, and you can get remarried and have a life. And Ruth said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be faithful to you. And I don't know what her family of origin was like. Maybe she didn't want to go back to it. Maybe they weren't very nice to her. Maybe they weren't good to her. I don't know. Or maybe she just loved Naomi that much. That seems to be what it indicates in the Bible. She loved Naomi so much. How many of you love your mother-in-law so much that after your husband died, you'd still commit to them and just be there for them and just cling to them and say, please, please, please don't send me away. Please don't send me away. I love you that much. And here's the thing about Ruth. Ruth was going to do all the work. Naomi was an old woman. She couldn't take care of herself. Ruth was going to do all the work. She was going to uh, feed two people. And at some point, Naomi was going to get sick and die, and then Ruth would be absolutely all alone in a world that would have victimized her uh, to the nth degree, and she was going to be working all of her life. There was absolutely no benefit. This is the thing I want you to get. There is no benefit for Ruth in this commitment. Her faithfulness to Naomi is so commendable because there was nothing in it for her. There was nothing in it for her. Naomi was not going to get her another husband. She was not able to barter her another husband. She was not able to have another son to, to give to Ruth for a husband. There was, she had no land, no property, no rights. They had, they, they had this property, and that's a big part of the book of Ruth, but it's not Naomi's to do whatever she wants with it. It's only, only men own, own property. So for Ruth, for her to be faithful to Naomi meant loss for her. Same thing over here. You got these couple of guys, David and Jonathan. And Jonathan, he was heir to the throne under King Saul, except that God had taken the throne away from Saul and given it to David. God had given David that which was Jonathan's. And Jonathan knew it. He loved David more than he loved himself. And when David joined the army and his star was on the rise, actually right after David killed Goliath, uh, Jonathan looked at him and said, you're my brother. I swear an oath to you in front of God. You're my brother for life. I love you. We have fought and bled together. We're, we're, we are brothers like this. And in fact, David, you don't have much for armor or sword or anything. Let me give you mine. And that's what this painting is. is Jonathan was taking off all of his royal armor and weapons and everything and gave them to David, gave them to David. Uh, Jonathan was faithful to David, but he was also, he is so commendable because he walked the tightrope that not many people can. He had to honor his father. His father's the king. He had to be faithful to his father. That is God's law. You honor your father and mother. You do not forsake your uh, father and mother just because 
a, a good friend comes along, right? He has sworn an oath to David. He is bound by God's law to be faithful to his father. And his father hated David, wanted David dead. And somehow, Jonathan found a way to be faithful to both of them. But in the end, it did not work out well for Jonathan. And that's why he and Ruth are so commendable in this area of faithfulness because there was nothing in it for them. There was nothing in it for them. Jonathan knew the throne will not be mine. Jonathan knew probably my dad was going to take us down the road to destruction. I got to be faithful to him. I got to be faithful to David. Incredible uh, commitment, incredible faithfulness to each other. And I want to talk about one person in the Bible who was not faithful, who was not faithful. And this is a person who could not endure loss for themselves. And this is a person who walked away. And we're given such scant detail about this person. I, I don't know how far to go in, in talking about this person and why they did what they did and what happened to them afterwards because no detail is hardly given. At the end of Paul's life, at the end of, uh, let's say at the end of the record that we have of Paul's life, we don't really have a story of his death or anything. We have traditional accounts that we believe. Um, but at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is under arrest. And he's in Rome, and this is what this left picture on the left is, is there, there is like. He's not actually in a dungeon chained to the wall or anything like that. He's awaiting trial, and he's under house arrest. And he's got a group of guys around him who run all his errands for him, who are, is the go-between between him and the local church, and people are coming to his house, and he's sharing the gospel. He's carrying on his evangelistic ministry right here under house arrest in Rome. And then something changes. There's a big fire in Rome, and the emperor Nero says, now here's a way for me to get rid of the Christians. He blamed the fire on all the Christians in the city, and he probably said it himself, and then he blamed it on the Christians, and then a great persecution started out against the Christians. And so people are fleeing Rome, but Paul can't flee Rome, but all those group of guys with him can. And it seems like what we have, if you read the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is his last will and testament, writing and saying, this is basically the last writing he's giving. Him. He knows that his time is short. He knows it's coming. He knows that he's going to get swept up in this persecution too. And he tells about different people who have gone different places, and then he says this, um, do your best to come to me quickly. He's talking to Timothy. Come to me quickly. If you don't come quickly, you're not going to get to see me. It, times are hard. Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, is how the, the King James Version puts it. He loved this world. He loved uh, his life. Remember what Jesus said, those who uh, love their life will lose it. But those who, lose, uh, who save their lives, or what is it? Those who try to save their lives will lose it, but those who lose their lives for my sake will find it. And Demas said, no, I love my life. I can't be part of this persecution. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. Now, it looks like these other people, it seems like he sent them. I don't know. But he doesn't say anything bad. He doesn't say that they forsook him. Only Demas was the one that forsook him. Christian has gone, I, maybe I sent him to Galatians, Titus to Dalmatia. I don't really know. Uh, we don't really know. But it doesn't look like they just ran off. It looks like Demas ran off. Only Luke is with him. Only Luke is with him. He is the one that has remained faithful to me too. Demas, um, and I, I, I don't know how I would react under persecution. So I don't want to. I don't want to um, insult the guy too bad, but the thing I would want you to know, that all, for all people to know, <clears throat> is that 
Lack of faithfulness hurts somebody. Lack of faithfulness hurts somebody. Lack of faithfulness in a marriage, it hurts somebody. Lack of faithfulness in a job, it hurts somebody. Lack of faithfulness in a ministry, it hurts somebody. Lack of, lack of a Christian brother here at your most desperate times, if they run out on you, it hurts somebody. It hurts somebody bad. Being faithful is commendable. Being unfaithful ends in hurt for somebody. The problem is, you have family, you have friends, you have uh, people you are committed to, faithful to, you want to be faithful to, and all these relationships that you that you've got here, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with an employer or the church or ministry or the Lord, the problem for us is that none of us are perfect in our faithfulness. None of us are perfect in our faithfulness. No matter what relationship you've got with anybody, at some point, that person will be unfaithful to you in some degree. It may not be in the highest degree. It may not be the most hurtful or worst uh, infidelity that there's ever been. But at some point, somebody is going to do something that it felt like that was unfaithful to you, or you're going to do that to somebody else. You're going to fail them in some way. Spouses are, by and large, faithful to each other, and I hope faithful to, to each other. But at some point, you're going to be very hurt and feel like somebody betrayed you. Um, your kids are going to betray you. Your, your parents, you think, are going to betray you in some way, uh, and there will be a lack of faithfulness. Maybe not to the highest degree, but to a certain degree. Some of these things will happen. And in my brokenness, in my sinful heart, I have often, or sometimes at least, felt like, Jesus failed me, and I certainly have failed Jesus. But let me give you a little bit also from 2 Timothy uh, uh, to, to just speak into that, to failure in fidelity, failure in faithfulness. Here's a trustworthy saying. This is Paul writing this. Just a couple of chapters before he talked about Demas. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. This is what I would say. Jesus is perfectly faithful. He is perfectly faithful. He has made up for our unfaithfulness. And because he has forgiven our unfaithfulness, we can extend forgiveness to people who have been unfaithful to us. And he, after we believe in him, he has empowered us by the Holy Spirit in our life to be more faithful in what we are called to do. The faithfulness of Christ is the basis by which we can be faithful, and it's also the basis by which we can forgive unfaithfulness in other people. Because what does it say down here? This, this last verse is really what I want to point out. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And especially as it comes to, as it relates to spouses. That spouse is you. The two become one flesh. You two are together. If a spouse is unfaithful to another spouse, it feels like uh, the one thing hurt its own self. The one organism hurt its own, the one person hurt its own self. It's that bad. It's that bad. But he cannot disown himself. Here we are, married with Christ. He cannot disown himself. So whoever is committed to me and has been unfaithful to me, I'm called, hopefully, I have the power to do it, to forgive and say, uh, it doesn't matter that you were faithless, that you were unfaithful. It matters that I can, I 
keep you with me because I can't, I can't get rid of you. You're with me. You're with me. And that goes for spouse. Uh, and to a large degree, it goes for church together. We cannot disown each other. We are the body of Christ. We're one body. The one part of a body cannot reject the other part of a body saying, I don't need you because we all need each other. When Jesus has forgiven us our faithful, faithlessness, our unfaithfulness, well, guess what? We need to forgive or to extend that same forgiveness to other people who have been unfaithful. But it's hard. It's hard. But the Holy Spirit is working in you. And he'll be working in you forever to produce these wonderful, great, pleasing virtues, even if they don't become if, even if they don't come natural, even if they don't come easy, even if they are so even counterintuitive sometimes, the Holy Spirit is looking to change your heart, change your mind, and so these things are second nature. Of course I would forgive. Of course I would be faithful. It's just in my nature now. It wasn't in my nature then. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you, Holy Spirit, for residing in our hearts and for changing us. Lord, do the work of sanctification in our lives until it's easy for us to um, have all these fruits in our life, to bear all these fruits. Help us, Lord, to be conscious of what we need to cut out so that we can be faithful to other things. Show us, Lord, this is our highest calling, all other callings go away. This is our highest responsibility, other responsibilities become less. Help us to be faithful in our callings, that the, the things that you would have us do, and our responsibilities, the things that we have put upon ourselves, Lord. Help us to be faithful to you, and help us to extend grace and forgiveness and mercy to anybody who's been unfaithful to us, just like you have been uh, gracious, forgiving. We love you. We thank you for this, and we ask you all of these things in Jesus.